Right, if you would, uh, open your uh, Bibles or Bible apps, however you prefer, uh, to the book of Revelation. We're going to be in chapter 8 this morning, Revelation chapter 8. Uh, so it's, if it's been a while since you've been with us, or if this is uh, one of your first times, uh, we are coming to the, to the end of a series we've called 2020, and we started it over two years ago. Uh, we started in Genesis, and we're just looking for the gospel from one cover to the next, and we have found... Uh, it is there all through all throughout, um, and so uh, we're taking it kind of slowly. This last book, uh, and so today we find ourselves in Revelation chapter eight. Now, uh, the section that we're in here in Revelation it started in chapter six, where seven seals of judgment began to be opened by the only one in all of heaven who could open it, and that is the Lamb Jesus Christ. Uh, just remember all of these different seals. The first was the introduction of the Antichrist. He will come offering peace, but we soon see it is a false peace, and he only uses that empty promise uh, to enslave and conquer. The second seal is uh, war or conflict on earth. The false peace promised by the Antichrist leads to actually peace being taken from the earth. Uh, The third seal is scarcity on earth. The conditions left by war will break down the supply chain, and now whoever is left on earth is struggling to survive. The fourth seal was widespread death. The fifth seal was a cry from the martyred saints uh, to God to avenge them. Um, So um, we'll see later. His answer was, not yet. The sixth seal was a cry from those still on earth. Uh, for God to hide them, because no one could stand in his wrath, uh, at least um, no one who didn't know the Lamb. The last verse of chapter 6, verse 17, the great day of God's wrath has come, who is able to stand? And the almost desperate and hopeless question is answered in chapter 7, where we were last week. Now remember, chapter 7 describes a parenthesis before the seventh seal is opened. Uh, it's where we see two great multitudes of people, uh, the sealed of Israel and the saved Gentiles. Um, so, you know, as, uh, as a pastor in my studies, I try to scour all my, my, my books and my commentaries, and, and I try to, try to pull just inspirational quotes that uh, you guys, that we can all walk away with just... Uh, spiritually inspired and and maybe make us think you know what that that's that's right and so today I I have one um, but it's it's from myself regarding chapter 7 so be ready to be wowed because here it is I honestly um, I I just don't know I'm just not sure what everything in chapter 7 means um, and, and here you thought you were going to be inspired, but I, I, I really, I, I'm, not, I'm not sure. It seems like Revelation is going in cycles. Uh, we know that John kind of liked to write like that in his other letters. And so if that's the case, uh, then he is describing some of the same judgments from different vantage points. And so when we get to the end of the book, we will have the whole picture. There are several valid explanations as to who these groups in in chapter 7 represent. The sealed of Israel could be the literal 144,000 Jews saved during the Great Tribulation uh, through the evangelism of the two witnesses that we will see here in a few weeks in chapter 11. Uh, They could represent all the Jewish race that has come to know Jesus throughout the ages. 
Uh, same with the second group of, of saved Gentiles. It could be literal. It could be figurative. Some think that both of these groups represent the same people. I don't know, but here's what I do know. Uh, no matter when this takes place and no matter who they represent, Almighty God saves through the blood of the Lamb, His Son, who is Jesus Christ. And so in the midst of all this judgment and wrath, we still see grace. We still see mercy. However, this appears to be God's last opportunity for people to accept Jesus as their Savior. 2 Peter 3, 8 and 9 says, Beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise of returning and judging the earth, as some would count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. See, throughout the word of God, he is described as patient, long-suffering, slow to anger, abounding in love. And church, let me tell you, I am really thankful that he is. Here in the middle of Revelation, God says, enough is enough. And the door of grace that is now open through Jesus will be shut for all eternity. And what we see in the pages, especially here in chapter 8, are a result of that door closing. Uh, So chapter 8 closes that parentheses of chapter 7, and it opens the last of the seven seals. Um, Verses 1 through 6, prepare all of heaven for the seals opening. That's number one on your outline, preparation. But if you are able, please stand out of respect for the word of God as we read these first verses in Revelation chapter 8. The word of God says this, When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense, with the prayers of the saints, ascended before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it to the earth. And there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. So the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Thank you. You can have a seat. So we see the seventh seal brings another earthquake, and it opens more judgments. So preparation is the first part here of of chapter 8, and it is at least twofold. The first part of this preparation is silence. Notice verse 1. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Now, remember, this is the last seal on the scroll that only Jesus was able to open just a few chapters back. Uh, It's been called the title deed to the universe. And so we can speculate that uh, six seals have been opened and now the seventh, and so it is now open. And so I, I picture this silence in heaven kind of like a collective gasp 
Uh, like when you see an accident happen, you, you gasp because you, you don't know what to say. Or when you see your kid or grandkid getting ready to fall, you, 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 you gasp because you know what's coming, but you can't do anything about it. And that's kind of what I see here. Uh, here in all of heaven, gasps at the sight of the judgment that's about to take place on earth. Now, we would think that there would be pain in this judgment. However, there's no mention of pain because everyone involved, everyone standing around God's throne knows that what is about to take place is absolutely righteous. So it's partly a collective gasp and partly just standing in awe of who God is. You ever seen anything that just leaves you speechless? I'm always reminded of our trip out west to the Grand Canyon when you stand there on the rim and you look how vast and how big God's creation is. It's, it, left, it left me speechless. And so here, it's kind of the same deal, but this is on a much grander scale. And this silence is the calm before the storm. Notice what the prophets wrote, Zephaniah 1.7. Be silent in the presence of the Lord God. For the day of the Lord is at hand. The Lord has prepared a sacrifice. He has invited his guests. Habakkuk 2.20. But the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. All of heaven will be able to hear a pin drop for the next 30 minutes. So silence is part of the preparation. And so are prayers. The next blank there on your outline. Silence and prayers. Pick it up in verse 2 again. I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. We'll come back to the trumpets here in just a few minutes. Then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's mighty hand, the angel's hand. Now, note, there is uh, a parallel at what's going on in heaven and what took place in the temple in the Old and New Testaments. Uh, during the morning and evening sacrifice, the high priest would transfer coals from the brazen altar to the altar of incense. And that incense was to burn 24-7. The smoke of, that, of the altar ascending to, from, from the incense, it symbolized the prayers of the saints. It's, it's a cool picture that the prayers of God's people, you can write this down, they, they somehow make heaven smell good. They, they somehow make heaven smell good. It's not that heaven needs anything, but by God's design, he uses the prayers of the saints. Now, we have already seen some of those prayers uh, from God's martyred back in chapter 6. Avenge us. And before he said, no, it's not time, wait. But now, it's finally God's time. Ever since Jesus told us to pray, thy kingdom come, countless believers have. And now it's finally God's timing to answer it completely. Verse 5, then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and threw it to the earth. And there were noises, thunderings, lightning, and an earthquake. So... Not only do these prayers of the saints somehow make heaven smell good, they're also somehow involved in God's judgment. The next blank on your outline. His judgment upon the earth. So let's just, let's just pause here for a moment. Because we know that, that chapter 8 here in Revelation, it's telling of a time to come. But don't we also know that 
it applies now. Silence and prayer, they're both a part of the preparation in heaven. Shouldn't they be a part of our, our spiritual preparation here on earth? When was the last time you were silent before God? When was the last time? Silence is awkward. Silence is awkward. Hmm. That was not even 10 seconds, and it started getting awkward at about three, you know? Silence is, silence is awkward. But there's a reason why God says in his word, be still and know that I am God. I think we could say that there is a part of God that we can't fully know until we're just still until we're silent before him you know with, with all the stuff coming at us at any given moment we can be distracted enough that we don't really have to listen to the voice of God and if we don't listen then we can't hear it and if we can't hear it then we don't actually have to do what it says and so then we can just live nice and comfortably how we want to with any imposition from God and church, while that definitely describes people outside these walls, it should not describe God's people. Not listening, so we can't hear, we can't hear, so we don't have to do it, what God says. That should not describe God's people. Uh, church, that should not describe a pastor. <laughs> Shouldn't describe a church member. But don't we know that we are all capable of turning the voice of God down that we don't have to listen to it and we can do what we want. I wonder how often we pray, but then we're not quiet enough to hear the answer that God's trying to tell us. And so let's just, let's just answer a few questions in our hearts here this morning. Uh, and, and church, these are questions I've been asking myself all week. The first one, uh, when was the last time you took time to be still? To be silent before God and just worship Him for who He is. The second question, how's your prayer life? I mean, throughout the Word, we see prayer is important. We know it is important in our own lives. And here in Revelation 8, we see it, it makes heaven smell good. And God is going to use the prayers of the saints in His final plan. And so maybe... Prayer is even more important than we originally thought. What's God calling you to do today? What's he asking you to, to change? Maybe we need to schedule some time to be silent. Silence and prayer. They're a part of the preparation here in heaven. And I submit to you today that they should be part of our spiritual preparation here on earth. Uh, so... Uh, we noted the trumpets in verse 2. Uh, look at that verse again. I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Now we see in uh, Numbers chapter 10 that trumpets are used for three different things. They, they call the people together, they announce war, and they announce a special time. 
And that's exactly what they're doing here, calling God's people together, announcing the biggest war the universe has ever seen, and announcing the fulfillment of God's divine plan. And so the next blank on your outline. The seventh seal of the scroll opens seven trumpets of divine judgment. The seventh seal of the scroll opens seven trumpets of divine judgment. And we see this picture of the end open wider and wider and wider. Verse 6, so the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. And we can describe these seven trumpets all with one word. So we've seen the preparation, number one on your outline. Number two describes what's happening next. It's desolation. Desolation. It's a word that means barren, deprived, laid waste, abandoned, destitute. And this desolation is, again, targeted to the earth. Notice what it encompasses. I'll, I'll give a few things of what, what it could be, uh, how my mind thinks it, it could be, but I also acknowledge that God is not limited to our understanding or the laws of science. He will unfold his plan however he wants to because he's God. Uh, Also note, there are some similarities with the ten plagues against Egypt in Exodus, but again, uh, this is on a much wider, worldwide scale. The first trumpet, vegetation is struck. Vegetation is struck. Look at verse 7. The first angel sounded, and hail and fire followed, mingled with blood, and they were thrown to the earth, and the third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. Now, most of us have probably experienced a hailstorm at one point or another in our lives. It is an uneasy feeling when you hear that stuff pounding on your roof. And if we have, if we have enough notice, we might go out and get our tender plants and bring them to shelter. But here, uh, there, will be not, there will not be time to bring anything in for shelter. Because this is a cosmic hailstorm like no other. Uh, we've also seen the devastation of, of forest fires, volcanic eruptions... And we know that part of that devastation is the toxic gases that come. And so this is on a much bigger scale than ever before. Imagine the far-reaching effects of a third of all the trees and all the green grass burned up. It would affect the balance of the entire earth. Uh, The meat industry, uh, the milk industry would plummet And I find it interesting that this first trumpet is against the very thing that produced the fruit that tempted Adam and Eve back in the garden. But the chaos has only begun. The second trumpet, the seas are struck. The seas are struck. Verse 8, then the second angel sounded, and, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. And a third of the sea became blood, and a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Now, perhaps an asteroid will enter the atmosphere and ignite and fall into the sea. A tidal wave from that could sink a third of the ships. Um, The word used here often refers to the Red Sea or the Mediterranean Sea. So I think it probably refers to uh, salt water. The next blank on your outline. I think it probably refers to salt water. So now the fishing industry will be devastated. Uh, The oceans cover more than 70% of the earth's surface. And so imagine the stench of death with that many dead sea creatures. God's judgment will bring an awful smell of death. 
And so we can only imagine how far-reaching this second trumpet will be. That leads us to the third trumpet. The waters struck. The waters struck. Uh, Verse 10, Then the third angel sounded, and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and many men died from the water because it was made bitter. So seas in verses 8 and 9 are salt water, then this is likely fresh water. And it seems to describe a, a comet falling from the sky and breaking up when it hits the earth and falling into these rivers and springs. The uh, National Geographic Society lists about 100 principal rivers in the world. And the U.S. Geological Survey says there are 30 large rivers in the United States. And so here, one-third becomes so bitterly polluted that drinking them could cause death. Uh, Wormwood, it's one of the most bitter herbs in the world. And it has come to mean bitterness. Uh, In the Old Testament, it was synonymous with great sorrow. And so if those who drink it can, can die from it, then we can imagine what happens to the creatures living in it. Just adding to the stench of burning and death, we add even more dead aquatic life. The church, isn't this a picture of the stench of my sin to God? Isn't this a picture of the stench of of the sin that Jesus took upon himself? So far the earth has been struck. Now we see the heavens. The fourth trumpet. The heavens are struck. Verse 12. Then the fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon and a third of the stars, so that a third of them were darkened. A third of the day did not shine, and likewise the night. So the entire world will be affected by this fourth trumpet. Not just a third of it. See, the very source of life and energy will be destroyed by this trumpet. Giving the already damaged earth a third less energy to work with. Temperatures will change. Moods will be affected. I mean, we know what it's like to fluctuate uh, daylight just a little bit. A few hours one way or the other. But this is, this is different. This is even, even more. Uh, Jesus said in John 3.20, Everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. And certainly won't this come into play in these dark days. Many crimes take, take place in the cover of night, and so this darkness will only encourage carnality. Verse 13, there in Revelation. I looked and I heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of earth. Because of the remaining blasts of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. So basically he's saying, uh, if you think this is bad, uh, the worst is yet to come. We're only four trumpets in. There are still more, three more, noted by the three woes there in verse 13. And so church, I want to encourage you to uh, look ahead this week and and read chapter 9. It tells of two more trumpets. Uh, releasing two armies upon the earth. And uh, these have been called the second most difficult problem to figure out in all of Revelation. But by the grace of God, we will attempt to walk through them next week. You know, when we uh, started studying the book of Revelation, one of the uh, adjectives that I used to describe it was terrifying. 
Revelation can be terrifying. I remember as a kid, I didn't want to hear any of this stuff because it just, it scared me so much. But just like we saw last week, and just like we have seen throughout this study, the one scarlet thread of the gospel remains true. And at this point, if you still have breath in your lungs and a beat in your heart, the good news of Jesus is for you. It's offered to you. 1 John 5.13 These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. See, each one of us can know. We can be sure that we have eternal life. We can be sure that we know Jesus. We don't have to be terrified of revelation. We can have peace in the midst of chaos. See, God has not given us a spirit of fear. Satan wants us to be afraid of all this stuff that's going on, but we don't have to. So as we go into a time of invitation, would you just bow your head and close your eyes and just allow God to, to work in your heart today? See, church, all of humanity is sinful And sin is when we don't do what we should do, or we do what we shouldn't do. We have seen before that sin always leads to brokenness, and each one of us understands what brokenness is like. And a lot of people think, well, if my good outweighs my bad, then God's going to have to let me in. He he has to let me into heaven. This just has to be how it is. But when we look into how good someone, someone is, we see the truth. See, if we've ever taken something that didn't belong to us, no matter how much it was worth, or if we've ever used God's name in vain, or if we've ever not honored our mother or father, then we've broken three of the Ten Commandments. And if we would check the other seven, we'd be guilty of them as well. It doesn't sound too good. So if God judges us by his top ten, then we would all be guilty. And if that's the end of the story, then we walk out of here even more hopeless than when we walked in. And everything we've seen in Revelation today is what we have to look forward to. But our sinfulness is not the end of the story. Because God did for us what we could not do for ourselves. He sent his only son, Jesus, the Lamb, to this earth. To pay the price for all this sin. This smells so bad to a holy God. He offers the free gift of life to each one of us here. If you have never made that profession of faith, today could be the day of salvation. My question to you, what are you waiting on? And if you have made that profession of faith, are you living like You know Jesus. What has God said to you through his word today? When was the last time you were silent before God? When was the last time you prayed and then you actually waited and listened for God's reply? God's answer. How is your prayer life? All things that are important. All things that, uh, both things that I need to ask myself each and every week. Lord, we do invite you to come, and we thank you for the truth that we don't have to be terrified 
of what your word says because of Jesus. So I lift up those who are among us who may not know him and ask, Lord, that today would be the day of salvation. Lord, I lift up those who are among us who are just struggling. They would say, yes, I know Jesus, but I'm struggling with a certain sin. I'm struggling with whatever it is, Lord. Lord, we thank you that you meet us where we are. We thank you for your grace and your mercy. And so, Lord, we pray that Satan would not get a foothold in our lives, but that we would find the help that we need. Lord, we love you. And, uh, God, we look forward to uh, continuing here in Revelation. Be exalted in our lives as we leave this place. In the awesome and worthy and wonderful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.